Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Pod's Own Country, the Yorkshire Post-Political Podcast. I'm Chris Byrne, the Yorkshire Post-Political Editor, and today I'm joined by Jonathan Ashworth, the Shadow Secretary of State for Work and Pensions. Um, We're here today in person in Sheffield, as Jonathan has been up in Yorkshire meeting pensioners um, to hear a little bit more about kind of how the cost of living crisis has been affecting them. So, Jonathan, could you tell me a little bit more about your visit here to um, this wonderful facility, Parson Cross Forum, um, and also what you've learned from the people you've been speaking to today? Of course. And can I start by saying I'm absolutely thrilled to be on Pod's own country, Britain's leading political <laughs> podcast, uh, uh, no less. And I'm here in Sheffield today. We're at a memory cafe. That's a, a community uh, facility to support those who've got a, a, a diagnosis of dementia. And we've been singing some wonderful songs. We've been dancing. Uh, it, it's been wonderful to see so much joy here. And I, I was talking to a, a, an elderly gentleman, Ted, and he said that what is so fabulous about coming here and why it's so important for him is that it puts a smile on his wife's face. And I just thought that was a wonderful comment which summed up summed up this event. Um, we've had a great time, we've been singing, singing along and dancing to some great songs by the, by the Drifters, the Proclaimers, all, all the classics. But as I've been talking to the pensioners and older people here, while there is joy to be at the Memory Cafe, there is actually deep worry as well about what's ahead. We are in this cost of living crisis. Everything is going up. The prices in the shops are going up. Uh, filling up the car with petrol is, is going up. Uh, 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 people are desperately worried about the in- big increases that are coming in the heating bills. People are really wondering how on earth they're going to afford heating bills. I mean, already pensioners are cutting back. Already pensioners are struggling, and we know bigger increases are on the way. And of course, we've also got... Uh, because Rishi Sunak and Boris Johnson broke their promise to pensioners on the triple law. We've now got the biggest real terms cut to the pension in 50 years. This is a staggering, severe cut. And when you think about half a million pensioners across Yorkshire, that is going to be have, cause huge damage across, across the, uh, uh, the, Yorkshire, the Yorkshire area, across the different parts of Yorkshire. Pensioners, retirees are really going to struggle, as indeed are uh, working families, those in work, because of, because we know that wages are, are not keeping up with the pace and rise of the cost of living. If you're on universal credit, real deep cuts come into universal credit as well. There's some some of the policy uh, wonks did an analysis of Rishi Sunak's mini budget last week, and they crunched the numbers. And, it, and because of decisions that the government are making, 1.3 million people will be pushed into poverty. Many pensioners across Yorkshire are pushed into poverty. 
nationwide, 500,000 children pushed into poverty. Many of those will be in Yorkshire. I don't think that's a price worth paying, frankly. Rishi Sunak, he's a Yorkshire MP, apparently does think that's a price worth paying. Well, uh, I think he's wrong, and I think he should have done something to support pensioners, families and children in Yorkshire. I, I guess the obvious next question is, what would Labour be doing differently? Because I think it's fair to say Rishi Sunak's uh, defence, if you will, of the spring statement was, well, we've got to balance the books, the country's seen cost of borrowing go up, et cetera, et cetera. So what would Labour do differently, and how would you pay for it? Well, I mean, Rishi Sunak's putting up tax on people across Yorkshire, including pensioners. If they are working, yeah, if they are in work, they will start paying. The, uh, and, and if their earnings are, are such, they will start paying the, the health and care levy element of the national insurance increase. And this national insurance increase is a very punishing tax rise for working people across Yorkshire. I think there have been 15 tax rises under Rishi Sunak, equating to around £3,000 per household. Uh, he is Mr Tax. He is the tax rising chancellor. He's trying to say people can take this pain now. Children in Yorkshire can go into poverty. Pensioners in Yorkshire can go into poverty in order to give him the room to cut income tax in two years' time, even though that income tax cut nowhere near offsets the very big punishing tax rises he's put in place. So what would Labour do? Would Labour would have a completely different approach. First of all, the reason Rishi Sunak has to raise all these taxes is because for 12 years under the Conservatives now, They've hacked away at the drivers of economic growth. Our growth, our economic growth is anemic. So you need a big plan to get your economy growing, to bring the quality, well-paid jobs to Yorkshire that we need, to invest in our industries in Yorkshire, to invest in modern manufacturing in Yorkshire. That's the first thing we would do. But in the here and now, we wouldn't have gone ahead with that national insurance rise. And we would have imposed a windfall tax on these big gas and oil producers who are making absolutely billions of pounds We'd have used that money to give people across Yorkshire uh, help uh, with their with their heating bills, uh, to bring their heating bills down. And thirdly, on the issue around the universal credit cuts and the pension cuts, that in some ways is a quirk because it's because and it gets a little bit technical. But the point is this: the reason the pension and universal credit cut uh, credit is being cut in real terms is because Rishi Sunak and Boris Johnson have pegged the pegged it to where inflation was last September. So what you could do is you could say, well, look, inflation is going to be higher this year, so why don't we bring forward some of next year's increase into universal credit and the pension now? The fact that Rishi Sunak didn't do that is bewildering. It's either callousness, incompetence, or it may well be because he's not going to honour his promise to raise the pension and raise universal credit in line with inflation next year. Perhaps that's what's actually going on. But you could bring some of that forward to cushion people as they as they have to navigate these 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 this big stormy and these big waves that are coming through the cost of living crisis. So one thing I'm really interested in, because obviously you've been here today talking to pensioners. I imagine that as part of your job, you talk to lots of different pensioners across the country. How aware are they of this specific issue of pensions not rising in line kind of with the real terms inflation. People are desperately aware. Pensioners are desperately aware. And you know something, right? Look, there's a sort of, and this is, these things like this have felt quite strongly in cities like Sheffield, as I was finding out. Look, people remember Mrs. Thatcher breaking the earnings limit with pensions back in the 80s. And it's, that took uh, years and years and years 
for pensioners to be, again, lifted out of poverty with their extra support because of that decision. This cut to the, the breaking of the triple lock is, a, I think, is as, is as devastating and as a big a betrayal as when Margaret Thatcher broke the earnings link in the early 80s. Pensioners know what is coming. And as I was talking to people here, as they were pointing out to me, they've paid their stats. They paid their national insurance contributions. They did the right thing. They, many of them, uh, throughout their working lives, uh, paid contributions. Many of those pensioners, who have took, if they took time out, out of work because of caring responsibilities, if, if you're a mother, because what, what happens is, or what is supposed to happen, is if you took time out of work, you would get national insurance stamps either through your husband's contributions or when you started, when child benefit came in, you'd get a contribution to national insurance through that as well. So people feel they've built up a pot of money that they can draw upon and that, and that the government should honour. But the government is actually cutting their pension in real terms. And many people there are really, really worried and scared about how they're going to survive financially these next 12 months. As I say, Rishi Sunak's doing this, I believe, because on the one hand, he wants to try and uh, appeal to Tory MPs in order to get their votes in a leadership contest. Uh, and he thinks that if he could cut income tax by a penny in the run-up to a general election, that will help them electorally. Actually, I actually think if you're a Tory MP in Yorkshire, I think Rishi Sunak's rather insulted you. Because he's saying to you that all you care about is a penny off income tax, that you don't care about the desperate poverty that we're going to see in your constituency, whether that's in uh, Heathley or Dewsbury or Pudsey or, 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 or Peniston uh, or Rother Valley, all these seats which went Conservative. So Rishi Sunak's saying to those Conservative MPs, oh, I don't think you care about poverty, I think you only care about tax cuts. Well, I think those Conservative MPs should actually say, well, that's rather, you know, we're better than this. And they should force Rishi Sunak to change course. They should stand up for their constituents. They should stand up for their for pensioners in Rother Valley, in Don Valley, for pensioners in Peniston, for pensioners in Keithley and Dewsbury and Colm Valley and Calder Valley. They should speak up and stand up for those pensioners, not betray them. What would you say, though, to the counter-argument that, in theory, what's happening at the moment is trying to ride the ship of the public finances after kind of the massive hit of COVID and the idea that we could, you know, that pensions can rise in line with inflation, that, you know, across the country, everyone's wage rises should rise in line with inflation isn't realistic and maybe can't be achieved. But the, the, but the problem with that point is that at the moment, at least, penciled into the Treasury's own calculations are these inflation increases next year. Now, unless he's going to break that, and he may well be planning to break that promise, he just doesn't want to tell us. But at the moment, that's penciled in. Mm -hmm. So he could bring it forward from next year, uh, uh, if you like. So, But at the moment, that's penciled in. Um, the, 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 the second thing is, in the budget of November, the budget that took the decision to break the triple lock, and it took five billion pounds off pensioners breaking the triple lock. That's how much it took. It's in, the, it's in black and white in, in the budget's red book. That was the same budget, which while breaking the triple lock and taking five billion pounds off pensioners, gave away over five billion pounds in a tax cut on the banker's bonus levy 
and indeed a tax cut on things like sparkling wine. So if you're a banker uh, drinking uh, a Prosecco, you've got a, or even something more expensive, you've got a tax cut, while at the same time, uh, pensioners were losing £5 billion. So I don't buy this argument, there's no money. What there isn't is the political will. Could, could I ask, because um, you, you kind of took up this brief last year, um, and since then, the cost of living crisis has kind of exploded in public consciousness, really, but it's it's now the dominant political issue. Before that, you were Shadow Health Secretary, uh, where obviously COVID was absolutely dominant, every element, really, of our life. How have you found the change? Were you expecting things to get a bit quieter in, well, the, in, the, in the DWP? I mean, I mean, honestly, I went from two years from uh, responding to COVID. I remember, funnily enough, back in sort of early January of 2020, reading in the newspapers about this curious pneumonia that had been identified in Wuhan. And I remember thinking, I wonder if this is going to be like swine flu, because I worked in government, I worked in Gordon Brown's government, and I was thinking, I wonder if this is going to be like swine flu. And I immediately asked for a briefing from Chris Whitty, Chief Medical Officer, and started discussing it with them. And of course, as January moved into February and, and so on, we've begun to see how, how, how serious the pandemic was becoming. Um, and, that, and obviously that um, has been, that, that dominated um, the next two years, and I was working on that flat out. And the only things we did back in March is that I went into Downing Street to meet Boris Johnson, Chris Whitty, Dominic Cummings uh, for a discussion about restrictions. It wasn't necessarily obvious at that point that the restrictions that were, would be, that were going to be in place would end up being so severe and so extensive. But nonetheless, we understood that some forms of restrictions were necessary. And I basically said to Boris Johnson in his study, look, we're prepared to support restrictions in the national interest, but you've got to do something for working people whose finances are going to be hit. You've got to look at some sort of financial support. Uh, you've got to look at sick pay as well. Uh, and from those discussions, and I had also had similar discussions directly with Matt Hancock, we, we won statutory sick pay from day one. So now, the level of sick pay was never enough, in my view, and still isn't enough. But nonetheless, we won statutory sick pay from day one if you, if you, if you caught COVID. The government have now got abandoned that, and you don't get statutory sick pay from, uh, you cannot apply for statutory sick pay until day three of your sickness, which means you won't get it until day four. I think that's a huge mistake, uh, uh, particularly when we're in a cost of a cost of living crisis. But but it is sort of, um, yes, I've gone from being uh, working flat out uh, 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 on the pandemic for the best part of two years, to now working flat out fighting for pensioners, fighting for families, families, for disabled people who are seeing these real terms cuts and are struggling with this cost of living crisis. It is, it is like, um, yeah, I, I am pretty full on. That is true. <laughs> yeah. can, can I ask, what's it like dealing with those different challenges? Is uh, There is, like you've just said, there is obviously some crossover, probably quite a lot of crossover between the two areas, but what did you kind of learn from the COVID pandemic experience and how is that informing what you're doing now on cost of living? Well, I think the, the, the COVID pandemic uh, experience is, it, there is a connection. What the COVID experience brought into sharp focus was something that we all intuitively know anyway, which is if you're in poverty and deprivation, you are likely to be hit hardest by illnesses Sadly, you are likely to become sick sooner in life and even 
die before others in life. And that is very true in parts of Yorkshire, in parts of South Yorkshire, particularly in parts of West Yorkshire, particularly some of these post-industrial areas, former coalfield areas, where unfortunately uh, those areas are still blighted by higher than average levels of cardiovascular disease, hypertension, heart disease, uh, uh, and mental illness as well. Uh, it was people who were poorer, who had no option but to go to work because they didn't have the advantage of sitting on Zoom calls from a laptop in their kitchen. Uh, it was people who were poorer, who perhaps living in overcrowded housing, who struggled to get by, for whom COVID was attack, attacked them severely. And when you look at the statistics, it's often poorer people who are more likely to be admitted to hospital and sadly more, like, more likely to die. Uh, again, we are now in this crisis. And again, it is, it is the poorer and those struggling to get by who are being hit hardest. We've had one massive cut to universal credit before Christmas, 20 pounds reduction per week. We're now getting the second cut to universal credit in real terms, the second cut within six months. Uh, older people and pensioners whose quality of life was dramatically impacted by COVID. Many of them couldn't leave their house. Many of them sadly deteriorated and faded away in care homes and because they were trapped in their homes throughout that COVID period. And now those older people are, see, are facing these very, very deep cuts in the value of the pension and in turn are struggling uh, to keep their heads above water and they're really, 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 really scared. So the big lesson, the big lesson throughout the COVID period and this cost of living crisis is the government is letting down the poorest and those and the poorest and those on the uh, 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 on the lower middle incomes. Uh, they are bearing the brunt. They bear the brunt of the COVID crisis. They're now bearing the brunt of this cost of living crisis. I don't think that's right. This is the reason I'm in politics. The reason I'm a Labour politician because it's because I don't fundamentally believe, fundamentally believe that poverty and deprivation and disadvantage are self-correcting. I believe that a child born into into Sheffield, a child born into Barnsley, a child born into uh, into Huddersfield should have the same life chances as a child born in the wealthier parts of the country. Now, I, I grew up in Manchester, in Salford, and from the other side of the Pennines, um, although I ended up in the Midlands as a, as a, as a, as a Leicester MP, because uh, that's where life, life took me. Um, uh, but there's big, lots, of, um, you know, lots of things in common between growing up in, being born in Salford and growing up in Manchester and, the, and, and areas in, in, in South Yorkshire. And those injustices and those unfairnesses in life are what motivate me and what I'm passionate about. You spoke movingly actually before Christmas, I think it was an article in the Daily Mirror about your experiences of growing up in single parent household in the 1980s and 1990s and how sometimes it'd be quite a struggle for your mum to pay the bills. Um, and one thing that I was wondering was how how different is it nowadays? Have things improved or have things got even worse for, for people who are in your mum's position? Um, kind of compared to, to what it was then? Well, I think everybody's struggling. Everyone's hard up, everybody's skin at the moment. And that's why I'm so angry about the mini budget last week. Rishi Sunak did so little to help people who were really struggling to keep their head above water. I was just talking to a man here who said that the food bank in this area has gone from servicing 150, 150 people to now servicing thousands of people. I mean, that just shows you the level of need and I think, although in the 80s and 90s, lone parent employment 
was lower than it is today, even though we've got more loan parents in work, the, the, the deal, which was always supposed to be, if you get a job, if you get a paycheck, you won't be in poverty, that deal has collapsed because people in work are in poverty. You know, uh, most of the children growing up in poverty have a parent in work. And when you go to food banks, as I do, it's often people on the way back from a shift, even though they're working all hours got sense, they're still struggling who are picking up food parcels to feed their family. Look, I went to a, I went to a, 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 you know, a food bank in my own Leicester constituency, and I heard the story of a woman who was given some fresh food, and she said, oh, I'm going to have to switch the fridge on now. Wow. She's not had the fridge plugged in because she cannot afford the electricity bills. I mean, this is, this is what is going on in our society at the moment. And it's going to get worse because of the decisions that were taken last week by Rishi Sunak. 1.3 million people extra, extra in poverty. So some things have improved, but the old deal, the old guarantee that you get yourself a job, you'll get yourself a wage, a paycheck, and you'll be better off. That is breaking down. Uh, people are in poverty even though they're in work. It's the way in which we run our economy has got to be upended. We've got to invest again in good high pay, high, good wages, good skilled jobs, and good manufacturing jobs. Because this economy characterized by low pay, temporary work, zero hours contracts is making people poorer. That cannot be right. Can, can I ask, you briefly touched on it earlier, that um, when when you worked for, for Gordon Brown in government, um, you've been a Labour MP since 2011. <laughs> All of that period has been in opposition. I mean, do you see a, a, a path back to power for Labour? Yes, I do. I hate opposition. I absolutely hate it. I absolutely hate it. Talking today to a man diagnosed with dementia in his 50s, he can get no support from the social security system because the assessment system doesn't understand or recognise what living with dementia in your 50s means, even though he can't use a cooker. The system thinks, well, you can cook because you can put a, a frozen meal in the microwave. You can look after yourself. Even though he ought to get extra support with his mobility and so on, even though he's got dementia, the system won't give it him. That is a heartbreaking story. And when we know that one in three people born this year will go on to develop dementia, that means more and more people will be, sadly, unless we find cures and therapies, and I'm... I'm um, uh, one of the last things I did the shut out secretary was announced that a Labour government would invest more in dementia research. But unless we find cures and therapies, more and more people will have dementia in society and more and more people will be diagnosed with dementia in their 40s and their 50s. The point of this story is that we have an assessment system in the social security system that simply does not recognise or appreciate or have any sympathy for the fact that people in their 40s and 50s are getting dementia and it's giving them no help. That gentleman's story was heartbreaking. He's living off his savings uh, and trying to get by, even though he has dementia and obviously had to leave the world of work. And the reason I hate being in opposition is because all I can do in opposition is offer that man my sympathies, offer that man my commitment that I'll speak out about it, uh, 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 offer my man my, my promise that, that, that one day I will hopefully be able to do something about it. But until I get into government, I cannot do anything about it. That is why we've got a Labour Party's got a bit of government now. 
Do I see a path? Yes, I do. Because I think for the first time in a long time, I think Labour's prospects are improving. But I also know that uh, we've, also, we've got to work hard to convince the British people, to convince people across Yorkshire, in all those constituencies that fell dramatically in Yorkshire uh, in 2019, and, and, uh, uh, and actually we lost a lot of them in 2010 as well, but there was a real falling off a cliff in 2019. I know we've got to work really hard to win the trust of people again, uh, again to reassure them that we can make a difference. But also, I do pick this up as I'm going around, not just Yorkshire, but the Midlands and Greater uh, Manchester. I do think people are asking themselves, what have they got after 12 years of Conservative government? You know, you've got 12 years of the Tories and taxes are so high and so punishing. Uh, public services are so incredibly stretched. Growth is so anemic. Uh, employment is not providing the well-paid jobs that people want. So what's happened after 12 years of Conservative government? It's 12 wasted years that have got us into this mess. But as you said yourself, 2019 was, was a particularly devastating result for Labour. What do you kind of attribute that to? Because it isn't an, an easy turnaround from, from the position the party's at at the moment. Well, people didn't trust us. People didn't trust us. They didn't think our offer was credible, nor did they uh, have confidence um, in, in the candidate we had for Prime Minister. I mean, that's, you don't even need to look at the opinion polls and all of that. But, but we have a new leader now who is working hard to listen to people and to uh, speak up on behalf of them and their concerns. And crucially, our, our team of Kia, of Rachel Reed and Angela Rayner, our top team, are putting together, and I'm obviously part of that in my portfolio as well, we're putting together a set of policies which we believe will meet the needs of the British people uh, and Yorkshire and the needs of the people in Yorkshire, both in terms of bringing back good jobs, bringing back good manufacturing jobs, investing in our research base here, but also supporting our pensioners and retirees across Yorkshire, doing more to support children. I mean, children across Yorkshire, like everywhere, have lost the best part of two terms worth of education. There are big issues facing the country which are holding this country back. I believe, our, I believe the Labour team will put forward a set of policies that will meet the needs of the future. Yorkshire in the country but we've got to get out there and we've got to make the arguments and we've got to listen to people as well and we've got to persuade people that's great I've just got one final question yeah. I'm slightly reluctant to ask this now that you said how much you hate opposition <laughs> but I was just wondering what campaign since you've been an MP have you got any particular pride in or look back on because I, I obviously take the point about it is tricky in opposition to to make a difference two 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 issues the first issue was a constituency issue where a single mother approached me who was in the most dire circumstances um, with the, uh, the finances and the social security system and not giving her the, the, the entitlements to which she was due and she was, her children were in desperate need. She approached me and we looked into it and we fought her corner and we won it for her. I met that single mother two or three years later, maybe four or five years later. You've, you've been an MP for 10 years <laughs> these things slightly blur. Point is, I met the mother sometime down, down the line. She said to me, she bumped into me and she said, do you, do you remember me? And I said, yeah. She said, you helped me 
And could you help me? My daughter, who is now 21, so it must have been about five or six years, because my daughter was a teenager. But because you helped me, I was able to provide money for my daughter. She got to university and she's now in the civil service and she's actually just been uh, seconded uh, into Downing Street as oh, a wow. civil servant. And she said that's because of your, your help and you know helping me get the money to be able to provide for my daughter properly. Now, I'm sure it's not because of that. I'm sure there's lots of other reasons why that very talented, impressive young woman got that opportunity. But I just, but it just struck me that even though no one necessarily shouts about it, MPs can make a tremendous difference. The second thing which I'm, re- I'm very um, proud of is that I spoke out in very personal terms about my father's drink problem. My dad sadly was an alcoholic, not but to my appointment, and indeed died as a result of his drinking at 60. Um, and that is obviously something which coloured my life, has impacted every aspect of my life. It's I think something I think about deeply often, the days when I was with my dad and he was just drunk and I had to go to the shops to fill the empty the fridge because the food, because all that was in it was bottles of white wine and cans of lacquer. And just dealing with my dad when he was drunk. He, 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 um, um, I spoke out uh, in a very personal terms in a way in which I wasn't expecting to do. It was a speech on alcohol abuse. And I was speaking in the debate to the Shadow Health Secretary, and I was made a very, I had a very sort of detailed policy based speech. And I actually threw the speech away and just spoke and told my own, gave my own testimony. So it was the spur of the moment, was it? Yeah, almost? I thought I sod it. I'm going to say, say this. Um, uh, the, the minister was crying in response to me. Uh, and then, in fairness to Jeremy Hunt, who was the health secretary at the time, uh, he got in touch with me and said, look, maybe can we do something together on supporting children of alcoholics? And I went to see him and we agreed, or he agreed, that he would invest some money in charity projects and a charity helpline for children who are impacted by parental drinking. And uh, so we won some money, millions of pounds, and different children's charities won money, some money. I'm sure that no doubt some charities across Yorkshire won it, got some of that, got money. To provide support, to provide helplines for the children impacted by parental drinking. And there's a charity that I've supported, who I've run three London marathons for, oh, wow. called <laughs> Nakoa, who on a phone line, they could tell them this heartbreaking stories of children ringing them on Christmas Day, or children ringing them for a bedtime story. You know, hiding under the bed because their parents are so drunk, um, or being violent, and they just want somebody to talk to down the phone. They will read bedtime stories or they'll support on Christmas Day. So I've run three chat, three hundred marathons for this charity, the National Association of Children Alcoholics. But we, but this, but with Jeremy Hunt, we we won some money to give different charities like that money to do the support. And actually, me and Jeremy Hunt did a joint press release. Him as the government minister, me as the shadow. So we did a we did a joint interview together uh, uh, as well. So I'm immensely proud of being able to make a difference in some children's lives. Although I should say that in doing this joint interview together, uh, uh, we stood on College Green outside the House of Commons, um, and of course I am uh, relatively short, five foot seven. Jeremy Hunt is very tall, oh, way, really? he's way over that. six foot, <laughs> and the two of us are doing this interview together. And 
it was a bit like, it was only two of us, it wasn't three of us, but do you remember that famous sort of two bunnies and John Cleese <laughs> moment? Where he, I looked down on him, and he, it, was, it, felt like, it, it felt like that. So we did look slightly ridiculous with this, but the, the height difference was just did make a slight difference, but ridiculous. But you say, can you make a difference? You can make a difference, but that's what I've done from opposition. But my God, we could do so much more if I was in government. Well, look, I think that's a fantastic point to leave it on. Thank you so, so much for your time. It's been absolutely wonderful speaking to you. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Pod's Own Country. If you have any topics you think we should be covering or any stories you think we should be digging into, please get in touch with me um, via email, chris.burn at jpimedia.co.uk. Speak next week.